Everything you've heard about the KISS years and the KISS stage shows and the spectacle is true. It's not a legend. We're going to show every new band how the big boys do it. This is better for me the second time than it was the first time because I'm focused and I'm in control and I'm in the greatest band in the world. It's really about a lifestyle and an attitude towards winning. But you're kind of like a spaceman. No, actually, I'm a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> to myself, look, Eric, you're going to do the best you can. You know you're good, you know the songs, and that's all you can do. So it is just like a great opportunity that, that just suddenly landed in my lap. And... This one's going to be exceptional. Now I'm in the best band. I was in some good bands, but now I'm in the best band. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Right Between the Eyes podcast, a KISS podcast with three generations of KISS fans telling you why we love it loud. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 41, and we are pausing our creatures of the night for a special episode, which if you clicked on it, you know what this is. This is Todd Dammit Kearns. That's right, Todd Kearns. Uh, you can get a hold of us on all, all our social media outlets. We're on Twitter at RBTE Podcast. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Right Between the Eyes Podcast. We're on Instagram. You can email email into the show at Right Between the Eyes Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on YouTube. And if you listen on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, like, rate, and leave a review on the show. Like I said, I'm one of your hosts, Rob. And with me, as always, are Nick and Nico Caruso. How are you guys doing this afternoon? Man, I'm doing great. Exceptionally excited uh, today for our to get to meet Todd and talk about heroes and monsters, this album I've been listening to nonstop for the last week. It is a rocker. Well, Todd, damn it. I'm excited. <laughs> I just learned at first. I was like, Oh, Todd, damn it. I wonder where that came from. And, and then I was going, Todd, damn, Todd, damn it. <laughs> you sly S O B U. Sly guy, Mr. Mr. Todd. So of course, if you know, Todd from, Bruce Kulick's solo band. They're, I think, officially called Bruce Kulick and the Vegas Mob. He has been playing with Slash for the last quite a few years, plus many of his other bands and solo projects that you'll get to hear a chance to him talk about. And uh, let's just not bury the lead anymore. Let's get right to our conversation with Todd Kearns and uh, let's see how he likes it right between the eyes. <laughs> Mr. Todd Dammit Kearns to the show. Welcome to Right Between the Eyes, sir. How are you doing this so morning good to be here. or afternoon? Uh, well, it's morning here. It's really great to be here. Um, it's what, 9, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. So I'm here yeah. with Bret Hart <laughs> for some reason. I just sat on him and i like, oh, what are you doing here? Well, that, that's not too bad then because I've got a <laughs> Costanza looking at me. So <laughs> I've got a lot of that stuff. I got like a whole world of crap over there but yeah cool. i see you got all the books there too it's it's great uh, big yeah yeah 
huge comic readers. Um, you would think we would have some like really good American literature in here, but no, man. <laughs> comics are. It's American. one of my. It's one of my favorite things when someone asked. Um, there was an interview with Kevin Smith, and they asked him what his favorite book was, and and The Dark Knight was his was his favorite book. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of like, and it, he said it with such conviction that you were like. Yes, that is a book, and it's a very good book. And Frank Miller and and down the rabbit hole. But I was like, hell yeah, man! I'm I'm the same way. I've got like, um, you know, uh, my own collection going on, and quite a few independent guys will get me their stuff too. Like I got a few um, that I have a stack of things to read that independent writers and artists have done for me, which I'm really jealous of because I never had the skills to 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 put together a book, but I, I always wanted to. You never know; it's never too late, is it? Never too late for you, especially with your experiences and. Your long career, I would think something like that would be a lot of fun to do, you know? Oh, man. It'd be actually like Endgame, just kind of ride out (laughs) on a comic book when I'm too old to be on stage. Yeah, There you go. Is that one of those, like, if if you didn't have your current day job, what would your day job have been? Is there like a family, the family was in this type of business and like why aren't you in here putting boxes on this truck son? <laughs> <laughs> not really my dad um sort of stumbled into mining uh which is a strange which was never a passion it was a job you know what i mean so i think he took it pretty seriously that you should get a proper you know career um which i completely missed the boat on that obviously but uh <laughs> and by proper career you know what i mean i think it was yeah. more of a swinging from the fences kind of idea but uh no, I, I think my parents were concerned. Like I look back on it when I was younger, I used to feel like everybody's everybody's against me, man. Like no one wants me to to rock. And I'm like, no, I think they were just being parents that were concerned that you were, you know, it's it's the equivalent of saying I'm gonna, you know, put spandex on and fight crime. And you know, yeah. just as likely, you know what I mean? It's and so- for sure. I mean, to yeah. to think you could have a career in something like that, you know, was it something that as a young age you you knew? Like, when did you know that you wanted to be? Oh, very, very young. Yeah. I, as soon as I started playing music, it was sort of, um, uh, you know, and, and the funniest thing about it is I wasn't that great right away. Like I started playing with older guys who were, you know, sort of established and and I was just playing catch up the whole time. But I think just, you know, getting to be on stage or getting to go to practice, you know, it goes from jamming to practice to rehearsal, you know, within that world of professionalism. But uh you kind of realize along the way that, yeah, if I can do this, I'm happy as a clam. By the time I went out and started playing shows, my 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 high school job and junior high job was, you know, going out on weekends and playing um, high school dances and stuff like that. Back when they would have bands play at high school dances. Um, so while my friends were bagging groceries and, you know, we're pumping gas or whatever normal jobs would be, that's what I did, you know, and had money in my pocket and whatnot. And then when I started going on the on the road and we just kind of would travel around, we were like starving and poor, but um, I was happy. I was like, this is this is it for me. You know, when other guys will fall off, they'll go, we're going to get married. We're going to have a family. My dad's, you know, accounting firm, whatever it is, they all had like other things they could do. And I was like, you guys are all nuts. <laughs> you're, you're going back to that? No way, you know. I had an... Uh something came to my mind as you were explaining all that a lot of the times or one thing I like to think about or I like to ask people is like when did you know right and I know you said it was from a very very young age you knew you wanted to do this you wanted to be 
a rock star, right? Was there, was it a song? Was it a group you saw? Was it a guitar you saw? Like, what was the thing or maybe things where you were like, oh, that's, that's, that's it for me. It's kind of surreal because um, the first song I ever remember hearing, uh, like first rock and roll song, you know, I probably remember hearing like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or something as a child, but um, um, Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones, for whatever reason, hearing it on the radio or something, just those opening chords and everything like that was just like this kind of like, you know, beam of light right into my brain where I was like, what the hell is this? You know, and I actually have like lyrics, just a quick little I was born in a crossfire hurricane under there tattooed on me because it was such an impact on me that just sort of, um, and the stones, I love the stones, but they're still not my, my favorite band in the entire world, but it is something about that, that introduction. You know I mean? My parents were, they loved music, but they were not the kind of people that were like, Oh dude, check out revolver or, you know, like they, <laughs> they, you know, yeah, yeah. they just kind of liked music, but they had like random stuff and mostly the, you know, the initial food groups, Elvis and Beatles and that kind of stuff, Johnny Cash, you know, so yeah. um, and then from there, you, you the the best thing for me was it was that age when um, all my uh, aunts and uncles and all that were switching over from um, vinyl to either cassettes or maybe even to compact discs. And I was like and I'd go over to their places and they'd be like, oh, you can have all of that. And I would like literally go home with stacks of vinyl mm. Um some of it was nonsense, you know, but but a lot of it was like, whoa, you know, the guess who and like all kinds of like super cool stuff. And and as a music nerd and the vinyl experience is so much more of a put the record on, sit there, look at the thing, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 live with it. And I found like it was all research in a weird way. You know what I mean? And um, so bands like The Who, The Beatles, you know, all that early uh, well, you know, it's so funny to talk about because it's like 20 years after the fact uh, of the British invasion, I'm finding this and going, oh, my God, have you heard this? Uh, yes, of course. Everybody's heard this. You know? <laughs> and um, and that sort of really turned me on to to everything. You know, obviously, Kiss was, you know, is the gateway drug into basically everything after that, because that was our music by that point. You know, I mean, like yeah, by yeah. the time by the time they came along or by the time I got hip to them, they were sort of like it was for us, you know, that was, that was our music. And at, at a certain age, they've got you for life. All of us probably, you know, yeah. that's, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I've been a lifelong member. Yeah. It's just the way it goes, you know, yeah. and then onto that, into the eighties metal and all the kind of stuff that, and punk rock and all the stuff that I, that I followed along with my whole career. One thing we, we ask people on the show, like what, what was your first kiss moment where, you know, Nico would say it was the box set for the Alive albums that came out. Uh, Nick, you were there for um, Midnight, uh, Special. Midnight Special. Me was picking up Hot in the Shade for the first time and seeing that video of like, oh, that's that band with makeup and the explosion goes off. Where, What was your first kiss? I could tell you right now that I remember kids at school um, having... Uh, it was so funny because like 16 Magazine and all those kind of things were mm -hmm. like loaded with you know, cute boys, Sean Cassidy and Leif Garrett. <laughs> but there was always Kiss, you know what I mean? Like, so, and a friend of mine was like, check these guys out. And we were like, whoa. And I remember, I mean, this is pretty, pretty into it already because um, my brother and I both watched Kiss Meets the Phantom that Halloween, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was game over. Like the next day we went out and bought, and I think about that, that's 1978, Eight. I guess. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we're, we're young. So the next day we went out and we bought, 
I always like to tell everybody that it was Kiss Alive, but it was recently that my brother reminded me, no, the first one we bought was the Gene Simmons solo album. I mean, basically every week with our allowance money, we would pool it together and go down to the store and come home with a Kiss record, you know? So, so Gene Simmons is solo, which is bizarre to to say. I mean, like we started there, you know, but it was, was such a great, you know, once in a while we'll have that solo album conversation and people like, I don't know about Gene's record. I go, dude, Gene's record is perfect. If you ask me, I think when it starts with radioactive with that intro Mm -hmm. thing and all that, it's just perfect. Uh, the next week was alive. So re- in reality, that was our introduction to to Kiss Alive. Was you know, and I we would crank it in the house, and my mom is like, "What kind of accent is that?" You know, all the Paul Stanley raps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not sure. He's from New York, I don't, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was full on from there. And I mean, you know, keep in mind the Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive Two had the booklets and the tattoos and all mm-hmm. the stuff, and it was like Kiss Love Gun had the gun. I mean, it was like uh dynasty well eventually dynasty would would come later and on mass with the with the posters the solo albums with the posters it was like it was uh it should they just don't make them like that anymore honestly it's like the 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 full interactiveness with with the music was um if you were the right age like i say they have you for life and they've they've had us you know me and you know all my other friends for life (laughs) you know yeah yeah and i'm just like you too because i was there i'm a few years older than you but it's been crazy for us with the show like that. My son, yeah. I never forced kiss on my son, no. but he naturally saw it in the background and evolved to it. And then to meet Rob a few years ago and, and someone that comes on in the eighties when I checked out in the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. Like I left after, I think it was unmasked when, when Peter left, I kind of checked out. Sure. My musical tastes were heading to Van Halen and sure. Yeah. You know, Rush yeah. triumph. Yeah, of course. That they used to play in Chicago on the radio here all the time. So, no, I think that it's weird for me because um, I just coasted through. Like, I didn't even, I, I come from a small town. So, there wasn't really kind of like, this is what's cool now because no one's cool in a small town. It's kind of like, you know, right. it is what it is. And I'm the one going, like, have you heard the new Kiss record? The Elder, Creatures uh, <laughs> of the Night. These records that like were completely like invisible to the average music fan mm-hmm. by that point. I was still like, dude, this new record's killer, actually. Like, you know, and my friends would be like, you know, and I'd be kind of turning them on, playing them the guitar solo in dark light, you know, just that kind of like that long solo that Ace Ace and Eric Carr are jamming out together. And my friends would be like, this is actually pretty cool, you know. And, you know, because you're right, by then, with the invention of Van Halen, you know, and <laughs> as far as hard rock fans, it was like, oh, dude, like that's, this is like renders everything else. And basically you know, even Aerosmith and bands like that became like sort of uncool and overnight just became mm-hmm. like, this is the, this is, and I, I understand it now from a, a point of ob- objectivity, you look back and you go, well, yeah, of course those guys were like the baddest band in the land for, for a giant chunk of time. I, I grew into punk rock and a lot of stuff like that from there. I mean, a lot of the New York stuff, what I, what I think is interesting to me. And I always went to have this conversation with, with, with Gene about it because it's kind of like, he he gets so kind of ruffled by the idea that, you know, guys like us loved Kiss and found the Ramones. He's like, well, the Ramones? And I'm like, I go, but it was the New York thing. Like we kind of, the, the Ramones were also like almost wearing costumes. You know, they looked like mm-hmm. like cartoon characters to us. And and the music was so simplistic that we, we kind of went, well, I don't know how to play Stone in Love by Journey, you know, but but I can play, you know. Sheen is a punk rocker or something like that, the three chords and and make a terrible racket with my friends in the garage. 
And um, that sort of sort of begins everything from there, you know. So, but Kiss kind of has that weird way of splintering off into other things, and people sort of circle back. You know what I mean? I understand that the '80s were pretty funny at some point. I was just saying the other day how Hot in the Shade was the first record I didn't buy on release day. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like you know, I was sort of like it wasn't because I was like, oh, I was just sort of like you know, living life by that point and yeah. doing touring and whatnot. And but I was always there, you know, and and. Yeah, I mean, we can have a conversation all day long about how some are better than others. That's just the nature of uh, yeah. You know, every band has that. Every every filmmaker has that. You know, Quentin Tarantino has films that I love, and some that I'm kind of, nah, you know, I'm okay. Now, you were born and raised in Canada, correct? That is correct. Yes. So we were just talking before you you got in. What is it like for for someone like I, I pulled out a, a band. I thought, well, I don't know if Nico and Nick would know it, but I said, harem Scarum. I've discovered them a while ago. I'm like, how have I never heard of this band? Like they're amazing. And I was actually looking for a striper song, honestly. And I was like, these aren't, the, this isn't that song. And I went down through the rabbit hole. So what was it like musically up there f- for you, like discovering like us stuff, or is there a whole scene of music that, you know, we in the U S just, aren't even aware of oh there is i mean but that's true of australia or new zealand or sweden or wherever you know i think that you know i you know i was in um i went to finland to play some shows with michael monroe's band and they would just kind of casually mention oh you know and then blah 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 mention bands and i'd be like i don't know who that is i've never heard that band before in my life and they're like you know a major impact in that country you know so canada's full of those a lot of them you're probably aware of like april wine and lover boy and and brian adams and groups like that that did cross over um but then on top of that there's a whole world of music that is just only exclusive to canada in saying that that doesn't mean we weren't aware of acdc and aerosmith and uh and, you know, and and all the American rock and 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 English rock and and all that kind of stuff. It was sort of like that's sort of the over overwhelming thing. There just happens to be sort of a a Canadian content thing. My band Took sort of focuses on uh, my myself and uh, Brent Fitz from Slash's band and Bruce Kulick's band. We we do this thing called Took where we we started as a um, just doing charity shows, playing Canadian music, Lover Boy, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff I just mentioned. And then it gets a little deeper than that, you know. Not Harem Scarum, though. You know, Darren Smith, the drummer for Harem Scarum, was the lead singer for uh, Jakey e. Lee's band. Yeah. Strangely enough, the drummer, you know, it's like the drummer. Yeah. He's a very good singer. But yeah. Um, no, but yeah, the Harem Scarum, uh, all those bands, there's a whole world of those bands that in some cases might have poked through here and there. Saga from Montreal were huge yeah. in Europe for some reason. Um, I mean, they're a great band, but um, it's just weird how bands connect some places and sometimes they just don't. Yeah where what's the moment for you when you kind of go to from garage band jamming with your friends and brothers or whatever to this is a this is a real thing and you start having that conversation with mom and dad like i i think i need to do this because these guys are x y and z what what's that first thing where you go this is real this is serious well, it happened pretty early for me because of all those 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 weekend gigs I was telling you guys about. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, um, you know, um, like these guys were older than me. They were out of high school. And um, when I when I had sort of come in initially, they were just doing high school dances and high school. Um, and then like, uh, I don't know what you would call them, but they're basically just like a Friday, Saturday night in whatever mm-hmm. town and at the local town hall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just go 
just people let their hair down with a rock and roll band. Um, you know, but we started to kind of entertain the idea. The, the, the guys were really itchy to kind of like, you know, we could, you know, do the traveling circus of going from town to town doing this. Um, the weirdest thing in Canada is that um, there was a five nights a week circuit you could go to this town and put you set up on a Sunday, play Monday to Saturday and travel to the next town, do the exact same thing. Mm. You do like three sets, sometimes four sets a night. Um, so in reality, in the course of that one set is essentially one show that a band would go and play at the Whiskey A Go-Go, um, you know, and do their showcase show, you know, so, but we would do it three times a night. So in reality, by the time you've done that a number of times, you have that much more stage experience under your belt. Um, but I had to go and say to my parents, like, you know, cause of course my school, school work was starting to kind of slide and cause Fridays I'm like, I'm taking Friday off cause I got to drive to wherever to play Friday night. Mondays might be a little bit of a loose kind of start. <laughs> you know, so, so my four day, four day, three day school weeks were kind of like not cool anymore. And it was like, yeah. And they begged me just to kind of finish high school. You know, I was kind of like, I'm ready to leave high school. Cause I'm, I, you know, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm kind of got a, a thing going and they're like, just finish high school. That's all we're asking, you know? So I begrudgingly eked by and finished high school and then like was gone the next day. So at like 17 years old, I was sort of like traveling around, you know, in the circus and just playing music, you know, and initially that's all sort of more cover music. You know, it's sort of uh, a world where you're, um, you are sort of uh, playing the top 40 hits or whatever you like and that kind of stuff. Um we definitely leaned towards hard rock and that kind of stuff, but you kind of played, you played ball, you did the the thing. And, but of course, like anybody, you start kind of coming up with music and, mm -hmm. and writing your own ideas. And that's when things start to get serious. So um, I guess it went from being like, I can make a, a quote unquote living doing this, which in reality, honestly, I didn't really care. It wasn't, I didn't really, I didn't have anywhere to live. Like I lived, <laughs> I lived on the road. I had no fixed address. When you would check into a hotel and they'd ask for your address, I go, I, I guess my parents, you know, I, I don't, I didn't know what to, <laughs> what to write down. So, um, and then, uh, you know, eventually years later, this sort of focus became, um, about writing music and that kind of stuff. Is when that you go ahead, Nick. I love that you, what I love that you talked about was your transition from doing all the cover stuff to your own stuff. And that's a whole new, I can mm -hmm. only imagine that that's a whole new challenge in and of itself. Um, obviously I would assume that that process does feel kind of scary or intimidating. So what was it like when you really found those first couple ideas or what was the biggest challenge for you personally, creatively that you feel like you had to learn or overcome um, when you started really coming up with your own stuff? It's weird for me because we'd always sort of written. And I remember I, I would kind of like, I started off doing this thing where I was playing in my band. And then that band kind of fizzled out because that guy was getting married and this guy was going back to college, um, you know, grown up stuff. And I was like, you guys are out of your minds. <laughs> and then I got hired to another band and then hired to another band. And there were steps up, you know, the money got better. and the, But it was weird because that was when I sort of like, I'm still very young, like 19 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, it's just not rewarding being in this. I'm getting paid well. I'm traveling well. I've got my own hotel room. Um, but we're essentially playing, you know, whatever, whatever's on the radio and Aerosmith. And, you know, a lot of it I love, but I started to realize that, you know, that this was not all that rewarding. 
And I, I took a little bit of a break. I'd gotten myself a four track, uh, you know, a recording basically on a cassette tape back then. And I started kind of like demoing music and 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 coming up with ideas and and really getting excited about that. And then I was a ninja with that thing. I was like making <laughs> Sergeant Pepper with that thing. You know, it's like that's <laughs> some really talent with away. one of those. Yeah, you know, well, I don't know. Yeah, honestly, the the sound sound quality, not really. But I, I was really getting <laughs> carried away with it. And um, and it wasn't until shortly after that I put together the Age of Electric, which was my band that kind of went on to do really well in Canada. And that was with my youngest brother. So at that point, I was playing bass, and my younger brother had picked up the bass, and to be honest, surpassed me in a lot of ways. So I decided I'll move over to the Paul Stanley position and play rhythm and sing. And then my best friend was a drummer and his little brother was a guitar player. So we had two sets of brothers. And we put this band together and that interestingly went out on that circuit of cover stuff, but had been playing original music from the very beginning. Mm. And, and it was interesting because people would say stuff like, like, how are you guys getting away with playing your own music? Like as if it mm. was some sort of forbidden, you know, yeah, like, like, yeah. like as if you're like, you know, you, because a lot of guys would do weird things like, uh, here's a Brian Adams song, and it would be their song. You know, and I'd be like, <laughs> we never really we never really thought of it as that. We did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the funniest thing. Like, people would do it all the time. And I'd be like, is it like, are you not allowed? We were just sort of like, I want to say, you know, 50% ignorant and 50% just ballsy as in like, mm -hmm. well, fuck them. We'll just play our music. Who cares? Right. You know, we, uh, we made a cassette. Um, like, this is the funniest thing is my dad, who... You know, he plays guitar. He went into a, a local guitar shop, bought some guitar strings, entered his name in some sort of contest that would just happen to be at this music store and won studio time at this professional studio in, in where, where I grew up. And he goes, do you guys want this? And you know, what the hell am I going to do with this? So so we went up and we recorded like a six song EP essentially on cassette, which I probably have somewhere. Um, back then it was like, should we make a compact disc? You know? a CD because it was kind of like, you know, the CDs were relatively, well, they were new ish, but cassettes were still something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we just thought, well, we can knock out cassettes for next to nothing, you know? And so we made a cassette and we would go around and play. And I would have people say to me all the time, like, like, why are you guys bothering with this? Like guys who'd been in the kind of cover scene for a million years would be like, why are you bothering with this? Like, what's the point? And I'd be like, well, we write songs and, and now we're he goes for, for whatever reason i remember this guy saying to me but you're competing with people like billy joel that was the name he pulled out of the sky was billy joel <laughs> i go i go i'm pretty sure billy joel's not showing up in this one horse town selling these yeah. you know tapes off the stage so i'm not too worried about it but it really helped us build that whole thing where we kind of realized as time went by um that people were less interested in us playing whatever cover song they were here to to hear us play our songs. And, and we kind of got to that point where we became more of like a legit kind of band where the covers we were doing were stuff that we liked to do, not like sort of the top 40 songs of the day. We were doing more like, um, you know, like, like a, like a band would uh, like an original band would cover a song because they mm -hmm. like a song. And that's sort of where we landed. And then, you know, from there, the next step was completely stepping out of that scene, which kind of ate itself at a certain point anyway. But um and that was when the real shift became like, okay, we actually first the first time in our lives get day jobs and start considering like just being an original band. And that's that was a that was some cold water in the face for sure. Yeah. That's rewarding though at that point though, when that happens though, right? I mean, 
here you are now people are coming to see you for your music mm-hmm. and it was it was weird yeah i talked to a friend i talked to a friend yesterday who was who was talking about how like he turned his kids onto our music and stuff like that from back then and how they they bring it up once in a while and i go it is surreal because we we really had the audacity to be kind of like well it's just play you know you you kind of add a song you add another song another song another song next thing you know you're doing 50 percent your music and then you know it ends up being 80 to 90 and then it would be different i think if somebody had come along and said you guys are fired because you and on a couple of occasions that did happen because we were hired for a couple of um of those kind of gigs where they don't want to hear your music they want to hear I don't know, whatever the hits of the day are. Yeah. And and the next day we would get kind of like a, yeah, you guys don't bother coming back. And I'd be like, okay, that's cool. You know, we 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 got fired for the right reason because you know they they wanted like the 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 wedding party band, <laughs> you know, not, not these assholes playing their own music. Yeah. We I had that happen twice as we were playing around our small little area. And it was in like our third set. And uh the bar owner was like, if I don't hear something I recognize. <laughs> i'll shut you guys off right now and i remember looking at the singer going and he's like oh fuck him and i was like i don't want him pulling the power on i was like all right fine we're doing breaking the law and we like half-assed went into it and i was like oh we are so not coming back to this club the next time that's okay though honestly like we always kind of had this sort of sense of audacity that was kind of like you know what dude we're gonna do what we do and 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 it is what it is. I mean, it's sort of the the trade off is well, you get to do what you want to do as opposed yeah. to, you know, I, we would rather fail doing our own thing than than win doing the hits of the day. And I mean, it's funny. Return like, all these years later, I found myself back in Las Vegas in a very roundabout kind of way, and and it was a similar thing. You know, it's like a similar. Um, scene where people were like hey do you know the words to rebel yell i go yeah i played that in high school you know it's like (laughs) and the same songs were like in in rotation down here in the cover scene you know i I could tell you right now you could do like that and living on a prayer and you know like like all these songs i was like all those same songs from high school are like are like in like this 80s party rotation down here and um and the and almost the same thing happened when I put together the Sin City Sinners with Brent Muscat from Faster Pussycat. Mm. We started doing a, a jam night on just a Tuesday night at a punk rock bar, just playing songs that we like to play, Motorhead, a lot of punk rock, Kiss, mm. you know, whatever we wanted to play, ACDC. And then slowly started introducing our own music. And it was exactly the same thing that happened. And I realized people aren't here to hear, you know, whatever. They're here to hear our music and they're here to hear um watch us do what we do and i was like this is so bizarre to have this mirror thing happen like 20 years later yeah it's interesting and you guys had a pretty good run right you yourself had a pretty good run with sin city sinners and i when i was starting to you know see like other bands around I'm like oh i'm seeing that name quite a bit mm-hmm. um at, at what point do you go from sin city to you get the knock on the door of it says uh slash is, slashes at the door slashes at <laughs> slashes at the door that would be weird what <laughs> from guns and roses yeah. um well that's kind of what happened i mean like when i think about it now it seems like such a giant chunk of time but we started in 2007 and i was out by 2010 you know what i mean so in three years it was kind of like um i mean w- when i say out we we would still do stuff like i would go off and do runs with slash come back and try and until it burnt me out completely and it and it literally did um 
I tried to do as much as I could, but the, um, yeah, I just, uh, Brent Fitz, the drummer who I've known 30 plus years in Canada, you know, he, he was an old friend who played and we'd never played together until we played with Slash, which is funny because we play in like a hundred things together now, but he, he was this, you know, dude who played in these other much more highbrow bands than I played in. Um, and he went to, uh, he lived in Vegas and we, we reconnected when I moved out here and we became tight and, uh, we actually did a show with Bruce Kulick in 2010 for the release of his BK3 record. Yeah. We did it at the um the Cat Club right next to the right next door to the Whiskey A Go Go on the Sunset Strip. And then like a week later he goes he was just he went to LA, we did that thing and he hung around LA. He was he was going to try out for Billy Idol and a couple things. I don't think he ever tried out for Billy Idol, but I remember it was kind of like, yeah, I got a line on a Billy Idol's looking for a drummer. I think it's Billy Idol. I might be making that up. But um, then all of a sudden he goes like, he sends me a text. He just says, Slash's new drummer is from Winnipeg. And I go, <laughs> I go, wow, that's so cool. I go, you know, I, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. But I didn't, in no way did I think like, can I get in on that? How do I get in on that? I was just sort of like, that's rad. That's you know, I had a million things going on. Like I was doing really well with this thing. I bought this house, you know, on Sin City Sinners money. You know, I mean, it was like, it wasn't really like um, the Slash thing was sort of like a, I, I was doing just fine basically is what i was saying mm -hmm. but then um as i was buying this house i've told this story, story a million times so forgive me if you've heard it but my father came down to he loves the the act of looking for houses and the whole process of this grown-up shit so we went to uh we were looking at this house and i went over to Chili's and had a bite after and i got a call from brent fitz and and he's like can you be in la tomorrow to, to jam and i was like I think so. And I looked across the table at my dad and I was just sort of like, do you want to go to LA tomorrow? And he was like, well, I've never been to LA. And I go, well, let's go to LA. So we literally, you know, got in the car the next morning and drove the three hours to LA and, and uh, yeah. And it's the story, as the story goes, Slash was shaking hands with my father as I was setting up my stuff. You know, I look over and I'm like, oh God, what is he saying to my, <laughs> to my dad? And, and, uh, and then, you know, and then literally, we were, I, and I always tell this story. I go, I, we ran through, it feels like night train. I didn't go over anything. Like I just kind of have all that stuff in my brain. I could do it with kiss. I could do it with guns and roses. I could do it with the Ramones, but I don't think the Ramones are trying anybody out, but um, quite a few bands that I could just kind of show up and play. Um, and guns just happened to be one of them. And I just played night train. I feel like I played night train and maybe one other song, but all I remember is night train and slash going, okay. And it wasn't like, congratulations, you know, champagne or anything. It was just kind of like, okay, so next week we got a da 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 and I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, I had a hundred things going on in Vegas and a hundred things that I had on my plate. And I was like, the next week was like the Tonight Show with Jay Leno in Burbank, California. And uh, Craig Ferguson had a show and uh, yeah, George sure. Lopez yeah. had a show. Lopez. All, these... all those shows, yeah. And we went to Melbourne, Australia for this MTV something or other. It was the first thing we ever did was like we flew to Melbourne, Australia and played this thing and it was like it was a whirlwind and i at the time thought this would be like three months of fly out supporting his solo record that he had just put out and it was 18 months later that we were talking about doing a new the second record that he wanted to do and it was and it was you know went on like that for until guns uh did the reunion tour we were like pretty full on mm. and now it's sort of more intermittent but it was it was pretty full on yeah i, I remember picking up 
Yeah, I remember picking up that uh, Slash album and just seeing the the list of people on there. I remember going, "Oh, Miles from Alderbridge." I had to check this out, and yeah. then I remember seeing the Tonight Show and seeing all of you guys on there and going, "Man, this band is just tight." So I thought, well, Guns N' Roses isn't doing anything, so you're getting a chance to play a bunch of Slash stuff, a bunch of GNR stuff, and then to find out that you know Slash may say, "Hey, uh, sing a." welcome to the jungle or saying like, what, what is that like having someone like miles to say, Oh, go ahead, Todd sing one. Well, that's honestly what it came down to. Initially it was stuff like we were doing stuff off the solo album. So there's a Lemmy song on there. Mm -hmm. There's a Iggy pop song on there. And, and those were kind of songs that, that miles just didn't feel like that. That's not for him. And slash said, you want to sing those? And I go, sure. You know, it took a long time. We, 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 we toured for a long time before we actually kind of pulled the trigger on that. I had of course been singing all these harmonies that were sort of mildly overlooked because in, in most of those bands, there was not like another singer in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, night train, that kind of stuff was, was happening, <laughs> but not like, uh, you know, so miles and I were, you know, at least, you know, I can only speak from my perspective. I felt like we were really doing some really cool stuff together, you know, and, and Miles trusts me enough to kind of like, can you sing that bit while I'm doing this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, whatever you need me to do. And um, and then it became, once we introduced the idea of like, Todd's going to sing a song and Todd's going to sing another song or whatever. And Miles is like, no, please do it. I go, look, I don't want to step on anybody's toes here. I'm like, I'm happy to kind of like, I, I was, it was went back to me being 14 years old, being in a band. Like, I'm just happy to be here. You know, I, I sort of got sort of like, not forced, but sort of tricked into being the lead singer in the band back then by, you know, kind of like, oh, make him sing another one, make him sing another one. Next thing you know, I'm the lead singer. I'm like, I was just happy to be in the band. I was happy to be just playing music at all. And the same thing happened in Slash, where I was kind of like, dude, I'm I'm happy just to be here. This is a this is a blast. I never, you know, you always have the feeling of I have no no idea how long this is going to last. Miles has to go back to an Alter Bridge tour anyway, so it is what it is. Um, but then it sort of became like, hey, do you know the words to Out to Get Me from Appetite to Destruction? And I go, yeah. Do you know the words to Welcome to the Jungle? Yeah. Do you know You're Crazy? Do you know My Michelle? And I'm like, yeah, I know all that shit. I, I could play the guitar, bass, drums, and sing them. I just know Appetite for Destruction. I'm not going to do all of those things great, but I could do them. Yeah. Um, and it just sort of became like that. Like Slash would be like, he just kind of, I, Miles kind of felt like it was too signature a song for Axl Rose for him to kind of although he definitely did sing it on a couple of occasions he kind of felt like you know what it's just such a signature thing for Axl that I feel like it's you know I guess don't feel good about being out there going singing that song I go okay well I can do it you know so I would do that on a run and I would do all those songs that I just mentioned and it just sort of you know there'd be nights where Miles had a cold so he's like can you sing three songs tonight can you sing four songs tonight okay and it just sort of became like that kind of other singer guy in the band like glenn hughes in in deep purple with the oh, with, yeah. uh, david coverdale and i was like sure again i was like it wasn't really about like when do i get to sing my songs hey man <laughs> you know i was like i it was i was cool i didn't care oh that's really neat that's a great story man that's awesome i mean slash has been very kind to me that way i mean he's sort of uh you know i he no matter what, no matter what when he sees me at the end of the day singing and playing guitar and other things he he just kind of goes huh because he will never really think of me as anything other than the bass player in his band and nor should he you know what i mean it's so kind of like so it's kind of weird seeing like me do something else he just will always think of me as the bass player in his band and as he should and 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 the bass player in his band who sings some songs you know and 
we talked about maybe at some point being able to sing a song on a record, but who knows, you know, that's, again, it's not really a priority to me. I'm like, I'm just, whatever you need me to do in this particular lineup, that's cool. It's the same as playing with Bruce or something like that. It's kind of like, I have my job in that thing. And mm-hmm. in this other thing, I do another thing. And it's kind of like, I'm perfectly happy to do whatever you need me to do. What's cool is how you just enjoy the process and it doesn't sound like it ever became too much of a job, right? You're having fun. You're yeah. enjoying it at the same time though. Um, did it ever just cause this is, I think how I would feel. And I want to project it on you. You worked with slash jam with slash. Is there ever a time though, where you're like, Jesus, then with slash, right? <laughs> like, how am I doing? Is it ever like intimidating? <laughs> any of those very real human feelings ever come up all that stuff all that stuff is so surreal to me because you know we would have like very early on we did a an award show and it was like you know i was just still kind of getting my head wrapped around slash was a new slash so that's the thing that was so sort of jarring in a way was he wasn't like jack daniels and a cigarette and the top hat slash he was like you know daytime slash because i'm jamming with him in the daytime healthy slash jogging slash like i'm just like who the fuck is this guy you know i was like you know, <laughs> i like so it was kind of like like you that's him but it's something you know it's like it's it's something beyond your perception of him and he's like one of the most intelligent people you'll ever know he's always got a big thick book about world war ii he's reading and i was like who is this guy you know he's like he's not the kind of like well rock and roll you know kind of guy that you kind of thought he was you know but very early on it was kind of like so Lemmy's going to come down and jam because we're doing this award show and he's going to sing the song that he sings. And I go, fuck, he, what? Like, and Lemmy was like, he is and always was one of my heroes. So literally like within the first week of jamming, it's like Lemmy walks in with his guy and a bottle of Jack and a two liter of Coke. You know, <laughs> it's like, kunk. And, uh, and he was the fucking coolest guy in the, like, honestly. And he was the kind of guy that every time after that, I would see him and I'd be like, hey, uh, I'm just polite Canadian guy. Hey, it's I'm Todd. I play with, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. He was kind of like, yeah, I know. Don't go through your whole preamble of who you are. I know who you are. He was just like amazing at retaining that. And at that very, very same awards show, it's like Alice Cooper, uh, Dave Grohl got up and played. He played um, Ace of Spades with Slash and Lemmy at that thing we played at. Mm. So Grohl's hanging out. You know, it was just a bizarre, jarring experience. Um, during the course of that tour, Alice Cooper was up multiple times, you know, and these are like, that's a big deal. Lemmy slash. Yeah. And Alice Cooper, those are guys that like really were in my formative everything. You know what I mean? And Grohl in a different way, like, you know, sort of in a more sort of pseudo contemporary way. Um, and then Rick Nielsen from cheap trick would get up to jam. Like what the fuck? Like the whole thing was just so surreal. <laughs> But every once in a while, I'd be standing on stage with Slash, and it, it, it very quickly you just kind of slide into, you know, when you look back on every guy I've played with in my life, you're just guys playing together in a band, and then you'd be standing there playing, standing next to him as he's playing the solo to "Sweet Child of Mine," and you and you realize yeah. that's the guy. Like this is not like because I'd been playing that song since you know, right. you know, since forever since that record came out. It was like some guy would you know and and. In Las Vegas, there's a hundred guys who play that solo very well, you know, and we can just jam that song. But I'm standing there and going, this is the guy. This is him. He, This is his solo. And that's like his moment, in a sense, of playing that solo. So there were definitely moments where you're like, wow. And when you ask him, like, all those questions you had about the, you know, that chord change that happens in, in Welcome to the Jungle, 
you know, and you'd have this kind of like, before I was playing with Slash, you'd be like, I think it goes like this. I think it goes like that. And then you just look at the guy and go, is it this? He goes, no, we do this. And I go, okay, there it is. You know, so it's kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah it's surreal i mean playing with duff mckagan and you know and yeah. all those guys it's like it, it, it's it's bizarre i mean in a way and it's it's also very natural in a way you know i mean like those guys are such awesome guys and 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 just you realize pretty quickly after that like um you know like in the kiss world it's it's another surreal thing because the first time i ever saw kiss play was on animal eyes and bruce kulik was a guitar player in kiss and we watched the shit out of Animalized Live Uncensored. Oh, hell and Bruce yeah. Kulik was the guitar player in Kiss. You know, we watched it was like, you know, it'd be all fucked up. The video was all fucked up from watching it so many times. And he was, you know, so to be able to play with Bruce, you know, on occasion, I'll, I'll think to myself, you know, and the, there was no bigger deal to me than than you wanted the best. You got the best Kiss. You know, they came out, they played Detroit Rock City, Bruce, Eric gene and paul and now getting to play with him and now getting to play on the kiss cruises where you're like yeah. constantly in the in the circle of i've played with bruce kulik i've played with ace fraley at different conventions and stuff like that and it's it's all surreal you know and gene is uh is your funny old uncle now he's like <laughs> a, it's a cool guy and paul's paul stanley is like the the cock of the walk you know i mean he's the he's <laughs> always <laughs> he's always going to be my favorite rock star and so whenever he's around i'm always like wow that's paul stanley you know i mean it's like and i don't mean for that to be quite as like fanboy as it sounds it's just like just deep respect for these people you know what i mean i will yeah. never really like lose my my love of what we grew up with and and my respect of all what uh, what everybody's done you know that's a great segue from sorry to cut you off, Nico. Was it Kiss Cruise Seven was your guys's first with you, Bob, uh, Brent, and Bruce? Um I think so. There's a great picture of the uh when Bob passed away, they gave me a bunch of pictures off his wall. I've been meaning to put them up, but it's pictures from that cruise. Yeah, it was um I think it was seven. Jeez, that's there was seven already by that point. Yeah, that was surreal because I'd already known the Kulik brothers in in whatever form, you know, uh, mostly knew Bruce, but I'd gotten to know Bob. And, um, you know, when it came up, it was kind of like, hey, they're at the Kiss crew. And I'd always, I was, I was, I just want to be on the Kiss cruise. That sounds like a blast, you know? <laughs> so then it was kind of like, we're going to go play in the Kiss cruise. Do you want to play bass and sing these songs? And I was like, dude, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There's nobody better qualified for this because I, I know all that stuff, you know. But it was really interesting with Bob because then we got to dig into Killers, Paul's mm. solo album, all that kind of stuff was really fun, you know. And um, and then Bruce, you know, I was more than familiar. I'd already done some stuff with Bruce to do his era, you know what I mean? So it was a very cool set list. But uh, I think the interesting thing about it was I remember, you know, we rehearsed it and it was great. And it was fun and we had a blast and um we went and did the cruise and when you're playing you're so in the zone i, I always imagine it's kind of like sports you know you're kind of like my objective is to get the puck in the net or to get the ball in the net or to get the football you know and that, that whole kind of objective type thing you're just kind of getting through it not getting through it in and that sounds like so so clinical in a way but you're mm. you're in the zone you're playing you're like Second verse, here we go, chorus, solo, you're kind of in the zone. I'm looking out, I'm seeing the reactions of people, and people are having a blast. But um, I walk off stage, and I, and I my wife, I go to the side stage, and I go, I think that went pretty well. And she goes, are you going to go say hi to those people? And I turn around, there's this 
giant pack of people who were just like like grown men crying like it was just like this like dude i never thought i'd ever hear you know nowhere to run or or whatever song live and i was like oh wow i i, I guess i just kind of like didn't really i underestimated the impact of what that would be you know for them seeing bruce um you know play kiss songs was one thing but seeing bob who had essentially been the invisible you know side mm-hmm. side four of 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 kiss alive two and all that kind of stuff um that's a big deal it's like it's essentially being at a star trek convention you know i mean i always say like those those kiss cruises are like <laughs> so you've got shatner and nimoy and you know you've yeah. got the big guys and you work your way down to like you know check these, off exactly yeah (laughs) and sometimes the guy that was on one episode but he made an impact you know yeah so so bob kind of has that kind of element about him where he's got all this respect and love but he never was really on stage other than the paul stanley solo tour Mm -hmm. which made a big impact on people too so um it was a big deal and honestly it's like you know people we didn't you you never really think about it because you're trapped on this boat so by the time you get back to land you realize that youtube has exploded and everybody's talking about that cruise and we did a a, the um convention in indiana a while later with eric singer and Mm. um ace fraley um and all those guys and so we jammed with ace and eric and all those guys and that was a whole other thing you know what i mean so it's been really bizarre being in that world like in and uh and then later on you know this past uh we did that creatures fest where we jammed with peter chris so yeah you know it's it's not lost on me none of it's lost on me i'm like honestly like if if it was all like i keep waiting for that moment where someone taps you on the shoulder and goes thank you for your time you're done here you know? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna need like, this seat <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah here's I- your Here's your watch or something like that. Thank you for your time. <laughs> and you go, oh, okay. And uh, but I, I know I would honestly feel like I would feel like wow, I got to do some crazy shit. You know, I mean, honestly, it's like I have I would never have no I would have zero complaints. I mean, being able to kind of then after Bob passed, we brought in Zach Throne and mm-hmm. and that thing sort of took it to a whole other level where Zach does the Gene stuff, I do the Paul stuff just to make it. We really, we really try to kind of put a focus on, we want to make this as legitimate experience for us as it is for them and sort of go, you're not seeing Kiss, obviously. And it's not because it's the non-makeup focus. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, well, it'd be great to have someone like, because Zach's a monster talent. And um, I've known him 30 plus years too. And I'm um, just kind of trying to present it as best as possible as you're seeing sort of a version of the non-makeup Kiss uh, and really digging deep, bang bang, you read my body, like just the crazy yeah. deepest shit. That when I'm you like, guys pulled out, read my body. I remember I'm one of my best friends. I'm like, you are not going to believe what Bruce's band just pulled off.
I have never wanted to hear a song like on this end of the road tour. I'm like, Paul, play, read my body. I mean, that was just one of those. That's like, never going to happen. It's, it's never going to happen. But I'm glad this is happening for some of us that are like, I heard you talk to Bruce in one interview, like, oh, there's a do they do a little smattering. You'll get tears are falling or this, that or the other. But getting to see a kiss cruise and getting to hear no, no, no. And, you know, you singing my way and going, holy crap, like kudos to hitting my way, sir. Now, honestly, the anything that we take on, like when we talk about set list stuff, it's like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds cool. Yeah, absolutely. Then like a week later, I'll get a text from Zach Throne going, dude, what do we agree to here? (laughs) Like, oh, you. I got to sing my way. I got, you know, like a helium machine. I can do, okay, here we go. You know, it's like uh, all that stuff is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're playing that music when those guys were at the peak of their ability. Keep yeah. in mind, we all talk about Paul's voice, but Gene was going for it back then. I mean, Gene was no, no, no. And all that stuff. He's just screaming as a, not for the innocent is one. I've always been trying to get on the set list mm. from lick it up, you know, but it's funny because I have so many friends. Chris Jericho, the wrestler is, uh, yeah, is sure. a, is a huge kiss fan but he was introduced around that sort of lick it up you know animalized kind of phase and quite a few of my friends are those guys who found kiss like yourselves like you were saying finding them as just like in that hair metal phase where it's like this kiss band is also awesome you you're aware of their history i was a child and so i was aware of you know we were introduced to kiss as kiss you know i mean as as makeup kiss so we were there for the transition and and back you know but um yeah, it's it's been a blast. And and we keep thinking, I keep thinking, have we gone too far? Like, is read my body too far? And I realize there's just there's no such thing. We did no. Time Traveler. We did Time Traveler. It's a demo from like Crazy Nights or something like that. I go, who the hell? And then sure enough, slam dunk, sword in yeah. stone, like stuff like that is just like, people just can't get enough of it. Yeah. I wish there were, li- I, I my only wish is that there was some live releases from that because it's terrific what I see on YouTube. But like, I, and I and again, I know it's not obviously it's not going to sell in the millions and all that, but just if there was some website or somebody had the idea of recording those tracks, because you talk about the set list and and that's what's so special for diehards of all these bands, right? We all love to go see the shows, but when you when you hear a few of those obscure tracks, you know, for me, like I never thought I would hear Flaming Youth live. And we went to the, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Freedom to Rock. Freedom to the Rock. They're in Milwaukee. They didn't come to Chicago. So we drove up to Milwaukee. And it was like the thrill of my lifetime yeah. to hear those guys do Flaming Yeah, years. I mean, honestly, to their credit, if you are if you ever get a chance to go on a Kiss Cruise, that's where you'll hear them do I, I or the Oath. And like, they'll dig deep. They did She's So European last time, you know. And, um, but I think they're very, they're very wise. And I, I sort of acquiesce to their better judgment that, Paul is very clear on like, look, we know what goes over in yeah. a in a regular big setting, and I and I go, yeah, well, obviously, we, as fans, we're kind of like, we're good. We don't need to hear shout it out loud and rock and roll all night. We're good. So on a on a Kiss Cruise kind of thing, you're like, you know, you're you're, you're happy to hear, you're you're going to hear that stuff from those guys. So when we play, it's kind of like the interesting thing about the Kiss Cruise is when you're walking around through the hallways, they're they've got like the Kiss catalog just on loop. So you're hearing Carnival of Souls, you're hearing mm-hmm. everything as you're walking around. So when you get to see Kiss play and do the Kiss set, they're going to throw in a little something, but they're going to do what they do. And then when we play, it's all the other stuff, generally. I don't think we're really doing anything that they play. And then, I mean, 
maybe tears are falling or something they might have made an attempt at or something like that. Yeah. But largely, even unholy and stuff like that, they don't really dig into anymore. So yeah. um revenge, creatures, all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's so like there's so much good stuff from that those that era. Well, I'd be remiss in saying if we we've got to touch on this, heroes and monsters. I do not want to blow smoke up your tailpipe, but hearing this album locked and loaded, that first song ended, I went, holy hell, who the hell is, I mean, I knew who it was, but, and again, I feel like I'm quoting your lyric. It, it just blew me away. I just kind of wanted you to talk about the creation of heroes and monsters, you, Steph Burns, Will Hunt. And it was funny. I had been going back through your YouTube channel and I was watching the Will Hunt interview and I was like, oh, is that that moment right there? There are they talking about this project at that moment? Yeah, we were. I mean, there's the thing where I kind of talked about like maybe we'll get a chance to do something together or something like that, and we were both kind of like wink. You know, it's kind of like that was, was very sort of very sort of silly, but it was um, literally in this room. You know, in my my little studio here, he was like, you know, get a phone call from Will Hunt, and he's like, you know, who I is a friend, and um. I mean, he's a monster drummer. And and honestly, all I knew was he was a monster drummer. I had no idea he was a writer, a producer, uh, you know, mixer. He's like insanely talented guy. But all I knew was he was this monster drummer from multiple different things. Um, he'd you know, he'd been with Evanescence for quite a stretch at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, you know, he's he's a made guy. Um but it was COVID, you know, and I was like not doing much. And um, he was just sort of like, look, me and my friend Steph. And I was like, I know Steph Burns. It took me a second. Oh, Steph Burns. And I go, Steph Burns from Wayne's World. <laughs> In the scene when Alice, when they walk into Alice Cooper's dressing room, Steph's playing guitar. And he's like, what? You know, that kind of thing. And I go, that right there is kind of like, wow, that's that's pretty rad. Because I, mean, I can't tell you how what a big a deal that was as a kid to be watching Alice Cooper on Wayne's World. Yeah. Um. And they were, you know, we're working on them. We've been doing this thing and we we can't quite figure out, you know, where to go with it kind of thing. And I'm kind of like, well, send it over, you know? So, and that locked and loaded was the first thing that we ever sort of put together. And we're doing this remotely, keep in mind, because we're not even supposed to be around anybody other than driving my wife crazy. <laughs> God bless her. And it was like, he's in, uh, Will's in Florida. I'm in Nevada staffs in milan italy and we're sending shit back and forth and i have to pat ourselves on the back that i think it it sounds like pretty legit like a band like mm-hmm. uh, this is really normal now this sort of remote recording even for guys who are like you know three miles from each other will be like you know okay well i'll send you the tracks you know it's like slash and i do not operate that way in in reality if if i can be in the same room and make music with guys that's what i want to do and slash 100 operates like that we in a day and age where we could be doing this in this room on this laptop, we could be making records. And he's like, no, we're going to a studio, taking all our shit and we're going to go set up and we're going to play and record there. And I go, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's great when you have that experience because the idea of how records are made is becoming less and or how they were made is becoming less and less the norm. So whenever we can, I'm like thrilled. Like it's like, it's 1977 Fleetwood Mac rumors, you know, it's like, this is how it was done, you know? 
Um, but more and more, it's becoming the way that Heroes and Monsters, which was done. And that's when you're trying to like kind of come up with um, you know, still the writing of music and everything is still very much the same process, but it's more about how do we make this sound like we we're playing together. And I have to, I have to say a lot of that. I have to give a lot of that credit to the guys that, that they really kind of made a point of making it sound legit, but it's a really, it's a really strong record. And I say that objectively just kind of like, because when you're in the middle of it, you have no concept of, of what is what. Sorry, I'm spilling my, my water down here. And then, um, but when it, objectively, when I had to kind of go back and kind of go through the songs, cause we were going to do a run in Europe, I was like, I'm really happy with the way this turned out it's a very diverse record. It's, it's, there's really no two songs the same in a way there's, you know, once in a while there are, there, I think that things like locked and loaded and raw power and I wish you were the, or I knew you were the devil and songs mm-hmm. that the heavier kind of, I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of what heroes and monsters actually is. And then there's, so these other elements that kind of sort of kind of go off into different areas. For me, it was a really, it was really different. I mean, the tuning is this exceptionally lower modern sort of modern heavy kind of thing that is different than what I normally do. But I, I find that kind of stuff exciting to do something a little different. Uh, it's pretty easy to just kind of keep doing what I do ad nauseum till I get that tap on the shoulder of my watch and I check out <laughs> still waiting for that. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I, you know, so Rob calls me about a week ago and, and I start listening to the album and, um, you know, it's very fresh and vibrant and like the kids say electric, but yet it, it's, it feels like timeless to me too. A lot of the tracks, you know, like I could hear your influences of queen and cheap trick and everybody we talk about. I love let's, let's write it. I think that's mm-hmm. just a fun, mm-hmm. almost like an anthem type song. Um, I, I love, don't tell me I'm wrong. Thank you. Just another really great track. Blame angels never sleep. Like it, it's and I love the, the 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 heavy stuff too. But I've always been the melodic guy. Yeah, the structure of those songs, the guitar playing, your vocals. The it's just really and again, not to sound like we're here on the show, we're complimenting you, but there's nothing more exciting for me who gets stuck in the past, right? Well, it's, like, be- it's better than me be here being here and you guys talking shit about it. So, <laughs> boy, track nine, that. woo! <laughs> yeah, that's a. But 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 no, <laughs> from real, you know, like we're not. No, like, I appreciate that honestly. It's like yeah. I mean, I, you nailed it though because Cheap Trick, Queen, uh, Sweet, you know, all those bands. If you really put a gun to my head in the middle of the night, woke me up and said, "Name your favorite bands," or name uh, Kiss, Cheap Trick, you know, it would be very easy for me to kind of like, and it's very hard for me to get away from that stuff. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, on this on this run, it's been a lot of like. And a lot of people saying like Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury about my voice. And I'm like, really? Wow. I, I you know, I always feel mm. like uh, I, I don't really hear that, but I understand the kind of like the trying to figure out what people like to put labels on things. And I think that I'll take that label all day long. Honestly, it's like Queen is such an interesting conversation, too, because Queen, when you say Queen to one person, they'll say tie your mother down. You say Queen to some person, they'll say um, killer Queen radically different songs you know what i mean like radically different band but somehow the same band the same sound you know and i think that's what i appreciate about about bands like queen that could do the most delicate fragile thing and the heaviest thing imaginable and still be the same band you know and i think that goes for all those bands that we brought up you know and i think that um that that heroes and monsters definitely leans into a lot of that it leans into some sort of pseudo modern type things too because of blame has this weird time signature thing that's very will yeah i'm like dude this is not my wheelhouse at all i go 
and the tuning is like drop Z, you know, it's like, it's like it's dry, <laughs> and I'm like, but I, I found it so liberating in a way. Cause I had not really lived in that world. Um, that it feels good to kind of be doing something that's like, you know, at this late stage in the game, you could very easily just keep doing what you do and ride it mm-hmm. out forever. But once in a while to take on something that's a little bit, um, it's a challenge, but it's also sort of, um, uh, you know, just sort of makes you think outside your own little box. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful, awesome contribution to the genre. And I want you to know that. And I know, um, one thing we want to get your thoughts on is I know, um, Gene Simmons had certain comments about rock and, 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 and yes. about it in yeah. this current day and age. And what this record really made me feel reinforced a conversation we had on a different show is that I don't, of course there's different points of view and everything, but I don't necessarily think that anything's dead. Uh, you just got to go find it. It's there. Right. And of course, yeah. my dad said, I completely agree with is just, it, it captures that same feel um, and that same genuineness and authenticity of all the stuff that came years ago, but it's, it's, it's still, it's still present. It's yeah. still here, but obviously as someone who's still ripping out awesome stuff like that, what are your thoughts on that comment? I, I think it's the coolest thing that, that a dad and son are talking about rock and roll right oh. now. That's the, that's the coolest thing in the world. I think it's the, it's so awesome. Cause my kids, my daughter plays in a band now and, um, and my, my other daughter has always been a great singer. Neither of them really thought about doing it as career stuff. Cause they probably saw their dad slugging it out. Hey, let's get in a van from Winnipeg to Calgary and freezing cold. Like, no, hell no. Um, but I think it's awesome. No, I appreciate that. I, uh, you know, I mean, th- those comments are not are not unique now. The sort of like rock is dead kind of thing is. But it's it's not just rock. And I think that's where I sort of I really don't disagree with what Gene's actual what he's trying to say is that the days of being able to, like, put a band together and the sky is the limit as far as what you can achieve mm-hmm. is much more challenging to to um to achieve. But I think that it's sort of. You know, that said, I, I I know there's a whole world in TikTok that didn't exist when 1974, when Kiss was putting out the first album. So maybe there's something else going on there that 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 um, he's not aware of. Of course, he's not aware of it. He, why would I mean, he's aware of it, but he, not everybody knows how to to actually make that a thing. It's because that's such a it's as it's as sort of like intangible as as getting your song on the radio and it becoming a hit. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, how do we get our stuff on TikTok and to connect to people and, 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 and go off? That's what's, I mean, everybody talks about it. Like, like the idea of getting signed back in the day was the goal, but it wasn't the end game. Cause you could get, you could struggle and kill and, 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 and fight, get signed and nothing could happen. There's a million bands that we, all of us could probably sit here and talk about the babies bands like that, that I love that should have been bigger than they were that put records out that never went anywhere. And I was like, and I go, so the idea of getting signed and all that was not necessarily, you know, Oh, you, you're, you're signed now. Here's your mansion and your Lamborghini. (laughs) And I was like, that's not the way these things work. Um, uh, That said, I think as creative individuals, like guys like me and Will Hunt and Steph Burns, it's kind of like, we write songs. We want to make music, whether kiss Aerosmith, a lot of bands, cheap trick, puts out new music mm-hmm. but a lot of the older bands don't put out music because it's not really a viable model anymore you know the the, the revenue stream when you talk like that it becomes kind of like are we musicians or are we 
you know, in business somehow. And of course it's all a business, but yeah. to me, it's like, I don't think that just because um, the record buying public, you know, that that thing has changed, that that model has changed so much. I don't think it should mean that I should stop writing music or I should stop creating or I should stop, yeah. you know, doing what I like to do just because that thing is, 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 is what it is. I think that, you know, you just kind of make music and, and, I really do believe that all it takes is one song and your entire life can change. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've seen it happen to me a couple of times, not to the degree of, um, you know, like uh, when you're watching like these, you know, guys in, in, in this whole other level of lifestyle, but I don't necessarily think that that's, I don't, I've never really thought to myself, Oh, why can't I have, you know, <laughs> that ball and mansion and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't really think about that stuff. I'm just happy to still be playing music and still be doing this and wake up every day with a, with a plan, you know? And, um, uh, you know, but I think all it takes is one song. You write a song and, you know, like it could be met here, um, heroes and monsters. It could be two, it could be a solo thing. It could be anything that kind of gets picked up and ends up in a movie or gets picked up and, go somewhere and just changes your life entirely. And I think that's the exciting thing about music. And you just never, as long as you never lose that sort of wonder about it, or that sort of like, eh, anything can happen as long as we keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, there is a certain amount of like, you know, I'm not 20 years old, so it, it changes the game entirely. You know, um, even the, in the, the music genre type stuff, I totally understand why hip hop and all that kind of stuff is, is what it is. When we were kids, our parents didn't dig docking. You know yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They didn't dig like, you know, whatever we were listening to. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I go, and there are, there are elements of the hipster genre and all that kind of stuff that goes on. And um, imagine dragons, or even as far as into the hip hop world, where I go, like there are some really great quality stuff, um, but it's, it's, it's intended for a certain generation and a certain demographic and but I do this, you know. I'm a ninja at what we do. You know, so <laughs> maybe the maybe that's sort of more of a select group, more and more as time goes by. But mm -hmm. I, I I don't feel like I'm not going to stop doing it just because whatever. You know, it's like I I love doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. Please. Well, I, I just want to say thanks for you continuing to do this. Well, um, thank you for for listening. Thank you for enjoying. Yeah. Thanks, and I think as long as those of us are still into rock, like Nico said, we're we're going to find it. Well, even so, the fact that you're holding a, a CD in that, the 21st century is, is, is in, in, in five years from now, that's we're probably not going to be doing that. It's going to be holding up the thumb drive or not even that. It'll just be like, you know, we just talk about it in some metaphorical sense. In the, in the band Took that I have, we constantly have these discussions about like, is it becoming less and less likely that, you know, we're going to make, hard copy analog things i mean it will eventually become a non-versation you know what i mean like yeah we're still sort of like as long as we're playing shows and and we're we're in public and we're selling merch having cds makes sense you know we can sign them we can we can be there to, to oh definitely and people people of a certain demographic are going to go out to the truck and pop that cd in the in the but I'm not, if you're like me you go out in your car and you're like there's nowhere to put this fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My my new car, I bought it and I was like, what the hell? My wife's like, well, there's a thumb drive. I was like, what the hell am I going to do with a thumb drive? You know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, that's, you know, and, and that's sort of this weird transition of, of, of technologies and time. Mm -hmm. It'd be the same as getting in your truck and go, where do I put my a track? I got the <laughs> Frampton right. comes alive trying to, you know, it's like, it's just the nature of, yeah. of the way these things go. You get on whatever music stream, 
you have and you Bluetooth it and boom. Nick Nico knows all this. Why are we talking? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, the three of us should just shut up, Nico. Please yeah, yeah. educate us old folks. But I've done a good job of uh, <laughs> no, reacclimating it to the vinyl, right? Well, what's cool is like for yeah. a lot of my friends' stuff, when I was younger, I found all of this music. So um I had like the Walkmans and everything, but I had CDs. I tried to collect yeah. CDs as much as I could. And then it was it was difficult when I think for me too. Um, a lot of my friends went towards other genres and I was still listening to all this. And then, but it's funny because then I got to do the reverse. I had to teach him how to use an iPod and <laughs> what Apple music was and how to stream stuff. Love it. It's, it's, Love it. It's like in osmosis. Exactly. Process. I don't know about you guys, but I distinctly remember walking into a record shop um, and looking at my friend and going, dude, do you, do you, are you, do you see this? And he's going, what? I go, there's no records in here anymore. Like there was no vinyl anymore. Yeah. We, we didn't call it vinyl back then. It was just a record. record. And I go, I go, and we just kind of looked at each other. Go, Damn dude. Like it's all compact discs, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is surreal. Like it just, there wasn't even a section. Like there wasn't even kind of like a quiet section in the back with like BG's main course, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> like nothing, you know, it was like, yeah. and then it was like, uh, and then like lately in Canada, they have this great, um, because to this day, when I walk into a mall, my wife and I'll go shopping and she's going to go, you know, wife shop. And my <laughs> every time I walk into a mall, my my initial thoughts are, where's the records? Where's the record store? Ditto. And I, and I don't and I stop myself and I go, there's no record store in this mall. There's no record store in this town sometimes, you know, um, other than sort of more specialty shops. But in yeah. Canada, they have this place called Sunrise, which is awesome. Because now I go into the, into the mall, I go, no way. And I go in there and there's vinyl and there's, yeah. and it, it, it's like, a, it's like, it's such a surreal, nostalgic experience that, um, that I just, I'm in heaven, you know? And I'm, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I walk in, there's a place here called Zia Records that we all attend. It's in Phoenix. It's here. And it's always been the, you know, music and, and novelty stuff, but it has mm. vinyl, it has everything. And it's just, I walk in there and I know I'm spending at least a hundred dollars. It's just the way oh, it's easy. Gonna, I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what all, all exactly. this is. You exactly. would have told me at 49 years old, I'm going to be buying vinyl like crazy again. I just said, you're crazy. And then no, to I hear know. like, there's a little resurgence with CDs and some of my friends are collecting cassettes. And I was like, what, what date is it today? I know. It's bizarre. Well, check this out, man. We on the uh, do I have it up here? On the last slash release slash uh, SMKC four, we put out a, a cassette. That's amazing. It's, That's amazing. It's still in pl- still in plastic. I didn't and realize then, you guys had a cassette for that. And then Gibson Records, Gibson Guitars has a record company. They made these for us. Oh, <laughs> SMKC four. And true. it actually and it works, but it's got like a uh, let me see here. There's a USB a USB connection there. Of course there is. So bizarre. <laughs> Someone puts the iPhone in real quick. So bizarre. Yeah, I was like, it's so cool. And I'm like, I got to tell you, like, I've got like a million old demo tapes. These are my old band, Age of Electric demo tapes and stuff like that. I was like, I actually pulled them out. I go, I guess I can listen. I haven't heard these in 20 plus years, you know. So I was like, surreal. But yeah, it's. I think that's the beauty of music is that it lives on. And when like what yeah. what, Nico, what Nico brought up about you know rock is dead. Rock lives on forever. It's the only form of immortality. Is that when I'm dead and gone, somebody's going to listen to Angels Never Sleep and go, "Hey, this is a cool song." 
Yeah, that guy's been yeah. dead for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> you, may, you may be asleep, but you will remain awake as long as you're asleep. <laughs> so that, that was my Spock moment there. I wow. love it. I love it. <laughs> Welcome to the nine. You may only choose nine songs to move forward. No more, no less. The nine is here. I had asked earlier about your favorite nine Kiss songs that you have played live. Do oh, you... God. My favorites. Um, let's see. Nine of them? Specifically yeah. nine. I we, what a strange... Okay. Not five. Not, not ten. five. So like, <laughs> our thing, like we would take in... When we re- review albums, like we used Hot in the Shade as a thing. People were like, there's yeah. 15 songs. So like Ace Frehley, Paul Stanley, Animal Eyes all had nine tracks. We thought, well, when we review oh, yeah. albums... Review albums. What if we just take songs off every album we review and then the whole catalog becomes nine? So the nine just kind of became our just our, thing, yeah. our, our dumb little our little stick. So it's funny that you bring that up because the new slash record is is 10 songs because we we wanted it to be like, you know, Van Halen two or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's not like 16 songs where the last three no one hears. I thought, no, I think new like Back in the day, nine songs were like going to get all the love. How, how can this record lose? It's only nine songs. It's only nine it's, songs. Yeah. So well, I didn't really, like, I didn't really come up with 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 uh, an actual hardcore one. I thought I'd kind of just come up with it on the spot. But stuff like "Turn on the Night," "Turn on the Night" is like it's funny because in listening to the record back in the day, it didn't really. You know, I always loved the song, but it didn't. We play it live with no keyboards and all the kind of like just a straight up rock. Yeah. Just a straight up rock song. I was like, this song kills like this you know uh bang bang you although it's such a a, a silly kind of single entendre <laughs> not, <laughs> not even a double entendre yeah those kind of songs um the paul stanley stuff i guess you know i, I want to say because I, I we played the solo album stuff before like um tonight you belong to me is always a doozy i think that's such a great song it's, it's actually kind of one of the, the of, of all the solo albums i feel like that's the most kiss sounding solo album like those could have mm-hmm. easily been kiss song um that's three i had one just on the tip of my tongue there for a second what was it um i guess you kind of have to go i'm gonna say unholy even though it kind of seems like a, a no-brainer um it's just such like a, a but for someone like nico who wouldn't have been there in real time i don't know about you guys but i was standing in a club and I hadn't back then. It wasn't like you just called up the new Kiss video. You know, I was traveling. I was in a on the on on the road, and somebody goes, you know, and it's just I look up and I go, dude, black and white, heavy Gene goatee, Gene singing. You're like, whoa! Up to that point, Gene hadn't uh, sang a lead vocal in a in a in a single on a music video for a long time. You know, yeah. And it was like. It was a moment like and Paul had that Iceman back. We we're like, no way. Like it was like had every they'd scratched so many itches that so many of us Kiss fans had had at that point. Um, so I have to kind of hand it to that. Um, trying to think what else. Rise to it is a is a dude is one of the most unsung great yes. Kiss songs there is. Um, I just think it's a great sounding classic Kiss song. Um, Bruce's solo on that's dope too. So how many is that? Five? four i don't know how many that's five is it five okay wow we're we're, we're doing pretty good i gotta go with like i'm gonna say both all american man and larger than life from from side four because i think that those are again as kiss fans we were always like those are was some of our favorite kiss songs Mm -hmm. even though i don't think they ever entertained the idea of playing those live until like kiss cruises and stuff like that right 
I think it was one of Gene's greatest vocals, you know. Oh. So that's totally. seven. I, I know um, I'm I'm pulling I'm I'm pulling out of the of the bizarre kind of bizarro Bruce Kulick world that we do because I can easily, I can I can easily go into a lot of mainstream kiss stuff, but I'm trying to stay off the beaten path. Um, you know what? Should, what's another one? Radar for love. <laughs> what a great what a great song, and that was one that was I wouldn't say it was a skip, but if I didn't get to the CD player or the vinyl, I'm like oh, I'm listening to Radar for Love, and watching you guys on the Kiss cruise going. That's a badass song. It really yeah. is. You know, and it's one of the, I'm the same as you. It's kind of like sometimes listening to the song, but playing it is two different experiences, but radar Fitz brought it up. He goes, what if we did radar for love? No, I, it was, um, making love. Making love. And yeah. then we, we went in the middle of the song. We went into diggy, I can't remember how it went, but it went into radar for love. And I was like, I go, dude, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, so then the ninth one, I guess I'll just kind of randomly pick something out of the air. But it, it it's tough for me because um you know what? Let's let's dig deep. Let's do hate. <laughs> mm, I was hoping you were gonna pull something from Carnival. Yeah, yeah I, I just kind of feel like I mean hate might be the because we do jungle a lot, and that mm. one's sort of like kind of a no-brainer to me, but like those other ones uh, like like hate feels like unholy part two in a way, mm. like Gene was really trying to find that other song. That record doesn't get the love it deserves. And I think it's it's a number of reasons, obviously. Yeah. I, I actually can't help but wonder what would have happened if it was released properly. I don't know. It was a very strange time, as you guys know as well, because yeah. you know I, I was a huge fan of all the stuff that came out of that era, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. I was a huge fan of all that stuff that mm-hmm. came. And I think Kiss, again, ran the risk of being lost in the shuffle. But... Um, the fact that the reunion stuff started to happen sort of took that off the table entirely. So, um, but that record had been bootlegged. I don't know about you guys, but, but Carnival had ended yeah. up in my, in cassette form very quick, you know, not at some point, uh, we were all sort of hip to that record. Was it cassette? Probably, probably a CD. At that I point. had it on CD. I got it at Indie yeah. Kiss Expo in 96 and they were, Oh wow. I, I heard rain and hearing that chugging guitar and then hearing actually rain is a good one too yeah that's that's a good one too so and that was one when you guys started doing your suites and i was like i hope you guys do rain and we do hearing hearing (laughs) hearing your vocal pass at it just sent chills i was like this is as probably as close as i'm going to get and i've said this on our show that is my favorite kiss song of all time i know oh wow i know it's not the atypical detroit rock city but I think from where I was at in my life at that time and what that album meant to me, it just spoke. And especially that song, I was like, that just, that became that song. So that is one of those, if I'm going, oh, I'm on YouTube, I'm like, I got to go see Bruce Kulik's band play Rain. So that's one I that, go to back. That's so cool to me because I think what's so interesting is a record that could be deemed unsuccessful, you know, can mean the world to somebody. And I think that that's, that's the most uh, interesting thing about music in general is how people talk about guilty pleasures all the time. And mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I have any guilty pleasures. Like I get as much out of like, you know, ABBA sometimes than I do mm-hmm. out of, you know, out of like, you know, Slayer. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell, don't tell Carrie King that, but it's, you know, it's sort of like, I feel like, you know, just driving in the car sometimes and having that sort of connection to my mom listening to does your daddy, does your mother know or whatever, you know, in the car when I was a child, I have this sort of immediate time traveling type experience. I think that's part of the beauty of music and something that was deemed sort of quote unquote unsuccessful 
Mm -hmm. um, trust me, I've made many records that were deemed unsuccessful. <laughs> and, then, and then I've had people come up to me and go, dude, that record meant the world to me when I was going through at that time. And I go, wow. I mean, that's that to me is worth more than I was going to say worth more than more than a million dollars. Probably not more, worth more than a million dollars, but close, you know, probably. But <laughs> you, know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we really appreciate you taking the moment to talk with us. Uh, go through your wonderful career. For those of you that not picked up Heroes and Monsters and Minefield, we forgot to mention your your other band, which is also fantastic thank you both yeah. of those albums are great uh where can people get a hold of you do you have any shows coming up is heroes and monsters going to land in the u.s anywhere heroes and monsters is constantly being talked about coming over we're doing another run in in july in europe so um which is another you know i mean i'm just thankful to be able to get over there I, i've been there since 2019 with slash and the guys so that's been a blast um this year is sort of uh mostly a heroes and monsters year although while i'm in vegas i'm always at rating the rock vault over at the rio which is sort of a bizarre thing with you know i fell into with with my friends um doing this classic rock show and for me it's just a blast like i'm actually i'm going there tonight i'm gonna go over and play with uh you know blas elias from slaughter and nice. and, and all these guys it's like you know it's a blast and we i just love I'm the kind of guy that like, I will sit on my couch and I will not look up for, you know, I'm what they call indoorsy. Like I don't, <laughs> uh, uh, there's always something on television. I always say, um, you know, and I love being in the studio and I love writing and I love doing all that kind of stuff. But um, um, I, I like to make sure if I can, I'm lucky enough to go, I can drive 20 minutes over there, play a rock show, high five everybody, sign some stuff, get all that experience, and then come back and sleep in my bed, roll the garbage out onto the curb, you know, <laughs> be an adult and all that kind of stuff. And I find all that to be, I think it's important. You know, I think it's, as my friend says, it's kind of like going to the gym, you know, you're getting to go down there and sure. keeping your mind sharp. I, I don't like to get rusty and I don't think that I really allow myself to get too rusty. So um, but you can find me on all the social medias. I'm Todd Kearns everywhere. Todd Dammit Kearns on uh, Twitter. Um, Took will have a new video out this year, a new single. Heroes and Monsters has a new single coming out this year. Uh, Tracy Guns and I wrote a record together that's coming out in the in the fourth quarter, oh, which nice. is fucking great. And I'm really excited for people to hear that. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot going on. And uh, uh, I feel very fortunate considering that as awful as COVID was, mm -hmm. it really sort of bore a lot of fruit for me. You know, I mean, I, I did manage to kind of keep creative and keep busy and, and, and come up with a lot of stuff to do. Any word on uh, the Bruce Kulik and the Vegas mob? I know there was talks of you guys recording. Is that something you could just say? Is that something that's going to happen or does that get shelved? It's always on the table. I think it's mostly a case like in every one of these things I'm talking about, like mm. with Took, it's Took is one of those things that we really put a lot of focus on. But Corey's about to go and do the Shania Twain tour. So mm. that takes him out of out of the takes the uh, Took off the table for a minute. I mean, we could easily sort of consider like getting a sub or filling in, but we just kind of thought, you know what, it's just it's not the same. So why why bother? So so everything is scheduling, you know, so like with Heroes and Monsters, uh uh will's getting ready to do an evanescence and muse tour which would be great mm. um so all that kind of stuff becomes really um about availability and with bruce i mean bruce has been been with with uh grand funk for 22 years or something like that yeah you know? and they 
take very good care of him and he does amazing in that gig. And so that's, that's, you know, he's busy with that. Zach's been with Corey Taylor from Slipknot and was with Ace Fraley, but now he's sort of uh, focusing on Corey Taylor again. And, you know, and then Brent and I both have our stuff going on. So it's always that thing of like, can we find a moment to do this? Bruce, Bruce and the guys will probably reconvene. I'm sure when the kiss cruise, if, if the kiss cruise is happening, I think it is happening, but kiss without makeup or not kiss or something. I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on with that, but we'll see. Yeah. Will you see any of the last shows are from kiss or were you schedule permitting? I absolutely have every intention of trying to, to see them. Although I'm still like anybody kind of like, are these really the last shows? (laughs) (laughs) Haven't we done this before? I'm going to go through the whole headache of going to MSG and, you know, going to New York and dropping some dough. And then like two months later, it'll be like, surprise new shows i'm like you motherfuckers but uh no <laughs> I, I, I but I, this guy here is trying to talk me into it I'm so and to got it you know who's you know who's been trying to talk me into it sebastian bach we were just together oh. for eddie trunks thing and he's like dude and i'm like i know i know we have to kind of so sebastian gets like he gets emotional he gets actually tears up at the idea of never being able to see kiss again and i'm like i'm like dude it's kiss. There's it. This never really ends. Right. I'm shocked because 1974 is you know this next year is going to be the 50th anniversary of the first album. I mean, yeah, you know that's going to be some sort of victory lap, wouldn't you think? Vegas, yeah. Maybe. yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> the end of the road tour, but the yeah, but the residency continues. There exactly. You go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, they're Todd- not. We want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your day to come talk to us. Uh, means a lot. Again, uh, Heroes of Monsters, Minefield's great. It's great to see what you guys do with uh, Bruce and all of your wonderful projects. So uh, thank you very much for Thank for you, guys. By. Good hang. We got new fans here. You know, yeah. like, not we're, that we didn't before, but it's it's amazing here. to, again, it's exciting for me to follow your career now from this point. Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully we can cross paths in person one day. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, awesome. Take care. We'd love to have you back on uh, sometime Anytime. Later in the future. Look me up. Right, Thanks, we'll guys. Thank Enjoy you. your Saturday. Yes. Yeah, take care. Big love. Thank Bye. All right. That is going to wrap it up for this episode. It's always funny sometimes as we're recording an interview like this, we'll say, oh, we don't want to hold up the person that we're interviewing. So we'll just record the intro and outro later. Well, we recorded our intro and we forgot our outro. So this is the outro right now. A big thank you again to Todd Kearns for coming on the show. I meant a lot to the three of us. As you can tell, we had a great time with Todd on the show and dropped a lot of knowledge and just a real cool dude to sit back for an hour plus and talk to and uh, talked about his, uh, awesome career and everything he's got going on especially right now heroes and monsters go check that out if you haven't already go out and buy that physical media or you know to spotify any place that you hear music but uh you know these these cds it's cool to actually read the line the liner notes and follow along with the lyrics and stuff like that you know we love geeking out about stuff like that so let's go through our handles real quick you can follow uh nick Caruso at N Caruso Jr. You can follow Nico on Twitter at Nico Caruso. You can also follow him on uh, TikTok at Nico Knows Films. 
You also should check out Nick and Nico's other podcast with their friend Nick Zenick on the Vigilante 1939, where, you know, at the beginning of the show, you heard Todd and Nick and Nico and myself talk about superheroes for a little bit. And if you look at the back of wall of some of Todd's guitars, you could see some Power Rangers, you can see some Star Wars, a Batman cowl is sitting there off in the distance. He even held up Bret Hart, the action figure at one point during the interview. And if you're listening to this, you can actually see all of that stuff on our YouTube channel. So go check that out at Right Between the Eyes podcast. So that way you can see the interview if you'd like as well. But Vigilante 1939, where they talk about superheroes and Star Wars, uh, the MCU, the MCU is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the new DC Universe that's getting ready to start. All that superhero geekdom stuff that we love. Go check out Nick, Nico, and Nick Zednick at Vigilante1939. And then you can follow me at DrummerRob10 for all my music and other superhero things that I'll post on Twitter. But that's going to wrap it up. Again, a big, big thank you to Todd Dammit Kearns for coming on to the show and spending some time with us. And uh, he'll be on again somewhere down the road. On the behalf of Nick, Nico, and our very special guest, Todd Kearns, I'm Rob Myers, and you've been listening to Right Between the Eyes, three generations of KISS fans telling you why we love it loud. And in a few weeks, we will be reviewing Heroes and Monsters. Don't miss out. More Todd Kearns. See you in a few weeks. Bye. You've been listening to Right Between the Eyes, a KISS podcast. All music and sound clips belong to their respected copyright holders. No infringement is intended in any way by this show. It's used to enhance your listening pleasure and to make the show come more alive. So if Gene could not send his lawyers, that would be amazing. You can get a hold of us a few different ways. We are on Twitter at RBTE Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Right Between the Eyes Podcast. We are also on Instagram and YouTube as well. You can also email into the show and we will read all emails and this will allow you to participate in the discussion. You can do so at rightbetweentheeyes at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and hear why Kiss is still the hottest band in the world and why they still hit us right between the eyes. See you in a few weeks, Kiss family.